You are about to enjoy a presentation recorded at the 2021 Michigan Conference Camp Meeting held at Cedar Lake, Michigan. We pray that the Lord will bless you as you listen. Father in heaven, as we look into this wonderful book of Hebrews, which surely is full of hope, and I pray that each one of us will come away from this seminar with a a closer and a more blessed understanding of how much hope you have put into this book for us. Uh, Please bless each and every one with our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. So the book of Hebrews uh, begins with these words, with just a few taken out, but not changing the meaning. The God who spoke has spoken. Okay, The God who spoke has spoken. Right? Who spoke... uh, to our Father through the prophets in time past, uh, has spoken to us through His Son. And that the book of Hebrews is a literary masterpiece. There's nothing accidental there. And um, what the author does is literally allow God to speak. There's more Old Testament quotations in the book of Hebrews than any other uh, New Testament book. And you don't find there... You know, as is written in the book of Jeremiah or, or, or like that. You don't find that. Uh, you find it's just he's letting God speak. And, uh, and really, the book of Hebrews, this is, this is what it is. And this is, could be uh, pretty helpful. The book of Hebrews is Old Testament quotation or quotations as in the first chapter, there's seven of them in a row. Explanation, in most cases, uh, you know, of what we're supposed to get out of those those or that quotation. And then an exhortation, how that's supposed to, you know, how we're supposed to act. That's what we have in the book of Hebrews. Quote, Old Testament quote, explanation and exhortation. In this uh, seminar, we will barely touch the exhortation um, sections. Um, And those are, and and just because there's so much, and that's, uh, if we can grasp the the steps, as they go step by step, that'll just help us, you know, from there um, to understand the rest. That's that's the best we can do in five days. So, uh, Right there in the uh, first three verses, which is the introduction to the entire book of Hebrews, and every line in there is elaborated on uh, throughout the book. Right there, we we read this. The Son is mentioned. He spoke to us through His Son. And then it describes the Son, which we'll get into in just a, a moment here. But then it says, one of the one of the descriptions of the Son. Uh, really, the climactic description of the Son is He sat down at the right hand of the Majesty on high. Okay, He sat down at the right hand of the Majesty on high. Wow. I'm going to be using a word here. The word is enthronement. Tomorrow I'll read to you a beautiful description. Actually, I will later, later on here. I'll, I'll shut this, these slides down and I'll read it to you. Um, so when I use this word enthronement, I'm referring to when Jesus, you know, having died and rose again, returned back to heaven where he was abundantly welcomed you know, by heaven. And even as Jesus himself said, um, you know, remember he said there in Revelation, he said, um, he that overcomes, uh, I will allow to sit with me on my throne, even as also, wait, even as I, you will be allowed to sit with me on my throne, even as I also overcame and sat with my father on his throne. When Jesus went back to heaven, there was a glorious celebration of the, the love uh, of redemption. And um, he was enthroned there, sharing the throne of God. Um, 
That is the main topic of the book of Hebrews. Great and beautiful detail, uh, but that is the main topic. Okay, so I start right here in the introduction, which mentions that Jesus sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Let me just say, that's the main topic of chapters 1 through 8. And then he builds on that. And so here you see, right here in the introductory verses, it mentions how that Jesus sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 1, uh, you know, he's, he's, I say, written. Uh, sometimes you'll hear me refer to uh, the author as the preacher because there's, it's pretty well recognized that the book of Hebrews was probably preached before it was put in writing. Okay. Uh, it's referred to, to I, think, I, I, <laughs> I think it's in chapter 13, this word of exhortation. Okay. There's a lot of other evidence. And that's why in the beginning you don't read, you know, Paul, you know, me and Timothy, you know, to the church at Thessalonians or whatever. It just starts out. It, is a, it, is, it truly is a sermon. And so, after seven chapters, seven wonderful, uh, well-thought-out chapters, we, this is what it says. Now, this is the main point of everything we've been saying. We have such a high priest. We have a high priest like the one we've been describing. Who is what? Seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. So here, you know, uh, now don't get me wrong, there's a lot of beautiful and important uh, detail around this, but this is the main point. I just, this is the cliff notes, okay? We have such a high priest who is tempted in all points because we are, and all this description of him, which we'll study, and um, who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. Okay. Now this here is a quote from Psalm 110, verse 1, which says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Okay. And you can see there, Hebrews 1, verse 3, sit, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Those majesty on high is, is added. Hebrews 8.1, seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty. Uh, and then there's Psalm 110, sit at my right hand. So already there in the introduction there, the third verse, we see Psalm 110 and verse 1 is clearly, the words from Psalm 110 verse 1 are clearly used. And when our author says this is the main point, as, as by the end of this week it should be abundantly clear to us, he's basing this main point on Psalm 110, uh, as we'll see, verse 1 and verse 4. So, but back to this here. So this is the main point. We have... Such a high priest, like we've been talking about, who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. Now I'm going to uh, just spend a teeny bit of time on the context of this statement here, just a couple slides. And... Uh, and then I'm going to Ask the question, how, how are we doing? <laughs> okay, so this is Hebrews 8.1. Just before, in Hebrews 7.28, notice here, this is the context. It says, The law appoints as high priests men who have weakness, but the word of the oath, which came after the law, appoints the Son who has been perfected forever. The uh, important words here, which I obviously have underlined, I mean, for my purposes right this second, are 
the word of the oath. What does this mean? So obviously the Old Testament priests were appointed uh, uh, by men, but the son was appointed to his priesthood by the word of the oath. What does that mean? And uh, we go to Psalm 110, verse 4. So we've already seen Psalm 110, verse 1 was quoted. Now we go to Psalm 110, verse 4, and we see the oath that it's referring to. There it says, the Lord has sworn, the Lord has taken an oath, okay, and he will not change his mind. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. So this is the oath. It's, and uh, it's a reference as, um, to Psalm 110, verse 4, okay? Here we see, let's see, so that was, so here's Hebrews 7, 20 and 21 in its full context here. Notice here. Inasmuch as he was not made priest without an oath, so Jesus was not made a priest without an oath, so we should be encouraged by that, right? For they have become priests without an oath. But he with an oath by him who said... Psalm 110, verse 4. The Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Okay? And uh, so what we've said so far is that we pointed out that in the book of Hebrews, it's the author's steadied purpose to let God himself speak, his own word speak. And he does this by quoting the words of God that we have, the Old Testament Scriptures. And we've said that the main point, you know, by the author's own words, um, is that we have a high priest who has paid the price and who meets all the qualifications, and these are some of the details that are going to be dwelt upon in this book, to be our high priest. And... We said that he was made high priest by an oath. Which oath is found in Psalm 110, verse 4? How's that? Okay, I have uh, a couple more slides and we'll be done with our introduction to today's. Okay, and then we'll start into this. Okay, so... Uh, Psalm 110, verse 1, Psalm 110, verse 4 are foundational in the book of Hebrews. A lot of what is said are built on these verses. Now, there's a lot of other verses that are used, but um, these are really foundational. And, and I don't know, you know to me, this is, this is thrilling, it's exciting because we are literally seeing how the early church, here they were, they knew, they knew Jesus had resurrected and gone back to heaven. How are they going to present these truths? Well, we are literally seeing um, some of the earliest presentations of Jesus. He's presented as high priest. High priest based upon Old Testament promises and so on. So it's, it's really a sacred history as well as sacred scripture. So there they are, Psalm 110, verse 1, Psalm 110, verse 4. And I'll just say one of them is pointing to Jesus' kingship and the other his priesthood. Now, Psalm 110, verse 1 is used in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. We've seen that. Chapter 113, chapter 8, verse 1, chapter 10, verse 12, chapter 12, verse 2. It is also used, and there, I could have given more uh, in the rest of the New Testament, but major places are Matthew 22, 41 to 46, 
Acts 2, 25 to 36. Acts 7, verse 55. 1 Corinthians 15, 25. And then Psalm 110, verse 4 is used in Hebrews 5, verse 6. Hebrews 7, 17. Hebrews 7, 20. And Hebrews 7, 21. So you can see these truly are pivotal uh, and important verses, not only in the book of Hebrews, but in the rest of the New Testament. Okay, Hebrews 10, verse 12. This is just a few examples. Notice here. But this man, speaking of Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. Hebrews 1, 10, verse 1. And then the, the verse we all know, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, Hebrews 12, 2, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Okay, There again, Hebrews uh, 1, 10, verse 1. Notice this. Now notice this. We're going to leave the book of Hebrews and go to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2. This is Pentecost. Okay? This is you know, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit like it had never happened before on planet Earth. So we're seeing how the Holy Spirit impresses uh, His primitive church to present Jesus. Notice it says, therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. So look, these men aren't drunk. No, no, no. This is come as a result of Jesus being what? Exalted to the right hand of God. There he was enthroned. And part of that enthronement involved having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He poured out this which you now see and hear. I heard uh, somebody once say, you know, when Jesus was received into heaven, there was such glory and joy and rejoicing. It's just like the Pentecost was just the overflowing of what happened in heaven down to earth. I don't know if that's... I'd like that. And then it goes on. For David did not ascend to the heavens, but he says himself, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. So there it is. Okay. So there. Uh, uh, I make your enemies your footstool. In this case, uh, you know, there's Psalm 8 and Psalm. Yeah. Psalm 8, verse 6, Psalm 110, verse 1 are very similar. In fact, we'll find out that tomorrow that they're often blended uh, in uh, the New Testament, and certainly in the second chapter of the book of Hebrews. Okay? Yeah, so there it is. This is really the first recorded sermon under the power of the Holy Spirit, the early church who had been hiding, you know, until the Spirit of God fell. And they present the enthroned Jesus. How that, having been enthroned, he poured out his spirit on his church. This is, uh, it's just beautiful. And this is, and it's, as I said, it's, it's almost like, you know, putting ourselves in their minds. How are they going to present this Jesus to the world? Well, here's how the Lord inspired them to do so. Okay, so those are, um, I guess, sort of, oh wait, I didn't quite finish. And he went on to say, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified. He's made him both Lord and Christ. Okay. Well, I put this verse here. Okay. <laughs> I put it here several times because it's the main point, right? Uh, Hebrews 8.1. We have such a high priest. This is the main point. He's seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. Okay. Now, the introductory verses of Hebrews, which is Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, these are introductory verses for the whole book of Hebrews. And they contain seven 
statements about Jesus, the Son. Seven statements about Jesus. Together they form a description of who he is and what he does. And the sixth statement is the climax of the list. Even though there's seven, the seventh is based on the sixth. The sixth statement is the climax of the list, and it happens to be the main point of the book of Hebrews. Okay, so let's just look at these here. The first one, he, he was appointed heir of all things. He was appointed heir of all things. The second one, through whom also he made the worlds. You got cheated, did you? Oh, somebody else didn't have it. I'm so sorry. I have two more up here. Okay. Through whom also he made the world. So that's number two. Number three, who being the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person. Upholding all things by the word of his power. When he had by himself purged our sins. So when he had died, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So you can see how describing his, you know, who he is, you know, the express image of the Father, the you know, creative power upholding all things. He died for us. And then he sat down, enthroned um, at the right hand of God's throne. This is the climax of these statements, and this is the main point. Uh, and then it, as a result of those first th six things, um, he states that having become so much better than the angels, as he is by inheritance, obtained a more excellent name than they. It's um, sort of almost an afterthought of those first six statements. Not an afterthought, but it fits into his... Uh, well, he's going to go from there and um, compare Jesus to the angels. Okay, so, after these first seven statements, after these first seven statements, then there are seven Old Testament quotes. Okay? And they are either directly spoken to Jesus or they are spoken about Jesus. So we've looked at verses 1 through 3, which is the introduction of the entire book of Hebrews. And now we're going to look at a few of, a few of the uh, seven Old Testament quotes, just for today. We're going to look at a few of them, okay? And uh, so... He stated that Jesus was enthroned at God's right hand. And this enthronement was used as proof that Jesus is so much better than the angels. And now this set of seven quotes are used to strengthen uh, or demonstrate that point. So he starts out, for to which of the angels did he ever say? Okay. Now you'll notice that if you look at verse 5 and verse 13, that these quotes are... Um, sort of sandwiched. In other words, you see verse 5 and verse 13 has essentially the same words. This is sort of a literary way of saying this is a section. Everything in between these are a section. Like each of these are a piece of bread and inside is the, you know, peanut butter jelly or whatever. Um, sometimes I refer to them as bookends. So you have this one here, you know, uh, book things that hold books up. Bookends, yeah. And then you have the stuff in between. That's what these are. So this, if it wasn't obvious enough, this shows us, okay, here is a section. And so it starts out there. Uh, For to which of the angels did he ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Okay, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Uh, let's see here. Yes, just like to see where I'm going next. Okay. So this is a quote from Hebrew. I mean, from Psalm two, verse seven, and it's clearly uh, quoting words that are spoken 
directly to Jesus. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. And this verse you know, causes, has caused some confusion. People have concluded that you know, sometime way back in eternity, Jesus came forth. He was begotten. However, as um, Protestants, we don't just take a, some uh, dictionary definition we get of a word, uh, certainly not an English dictionary, but we let the Bible interpret itself. Okay? What do these people mean when they use this word? Right? And uh, so that's what we're going to do here, I think. Notice here in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 5 and 6, the author or the preacher here um, says, So also Christ did not glorify himself to become high priest, but it was he who said to him, notice Psalm 2 verse 7, you are my son, today I have begotten you. As he also says in another place, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. We learn a couple things from this here. One is that Jesus' sonship and his high priesthood are closely related. We'll, we'll study that later. That's one thing we learn. But also we see here that this Psalm 2 verse 7 uh, is clearly used by the author, not in connection with some mysterious coming forth or something or being created or being born, but it's used in connection with his becoming high priest. That's what he's saying there. So he's the one that said it. He's the one that wrote it. And so when he quotes that verse in Psalm 2 verse 7, especially in the context, which is all pointing to his enthronement, and when by his own words he explains what he means, so this enthronement in it was at the same time in which he became, he was appointed as high priest, anointed as high priest, I'll say. Um, and so, um, we see that uh, the first quotation in Hebrews chapter 1 um, is pointing to Jesus session there before the Father, returning a conqueror from earth. Okay. So I've used this here, Psalm 5, 5 and 6, to help us understand what is meant there in uh, chapter 1. Also, to come out of the book of Hebrews, notice again, okay, okay there was an, there, yeah, one other thing I'd like to say here, just it will help us to understand as we go along. In the book of Hebrews, as, as to a degree in the New Testament itself, but certainly in the book of Hebrews, the resurrection, the enthronement, the anointing, that's my word, as high priest, are all looked at as one event. Okay. You don't, I don't believe you'll find the word resurrection or in the book of Hebrews, not applied to Jesus, um, because the emphasis is on his enthronement, but they are really looked at as one event. Obviously, he had to rise up in order to be enthroned. And notice here, again, this is uh, the early church preaching, using Psalm 2, verse 7. And it says here, We declare to you glad tidings. That promise, which was made to the fathers, God has fulfilled this for us, their children, in that He has raised up Jesus. As is also written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. So just there in Hebrews chapter 5, unmistakably we saw Psalm 2 verse 7 applied to Jesus' priesthood. Okay. Here it's applied to his resurrection. That's why I'm saying they're seen as one event. Okay. Nowhere do we find that, that verse being used to suggest that he came into existence. Okay. Um, as we know, the Bible says, you know, he was, basically, from the beginning. All right. Anyway. Okay, so, any questions on that first quote?
Good point. Good statement. Yes. Um, yeah, so all that I've done is just let the Bible, and especially the producer of the book of Hebrews, explain himself. Fortunately, he had Hebrews chapter 5. Okay? So, then, we will go to the second quote. I will be to him a father. This is back in Hebrews 1 verse 5. There's two Old Testament quotes in the same verse. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And uh, it's a beautiful quote. And here, uh, the inspired author of Hebrews is referring this to the, you know, the Father and Jesus. Uh, is quoting 2 Samuel uh, 7.14. Well, here, David has, you know, he wanted to build a house for the Lord, but the Lord said, no, you know, you're a man of war, and uh, your son will um, build me a house. And then, uh, and he gave several promises regarding the son. You know, his kingdom and so on, and his throne. Well, of course, we know that the throne of David was a type, if you will, of the kingdom of heaven, of the throne of Jesus, if you will. So here, um, and, and I'm going to go into this uh, more deeply later on, to maybe make that clearer, but um, here, um, he's applying this to Jesus' enthronement. Which is exactly the way it's used, referring to Solomon. So he's taken this and said, This is the truest fulfillment of this promise. Are you good with that? As I said, I'm going to cover this in more detail. Okay. All right. Are you okay? I'm going to, next time, well, later on, we're going to open and look at 2 Samuel chapter 7, and you'll see uh, God promises to, to David that Solomon, his son, you know, he will build my house. He will have a kingdom. His throne will be forever and ever, he says. And um, he will be, I will be to him a father. He shall be to me a son. Well, those words are, in their ultimate sense, met for Jesus, as the inspired author of Hebrews makes clear here. So this is literally pointing to his enthronement. Okay? Verse 6. I'm not going to spend hardly any time in this because I'm going to come back to this at the end, but it's one of the most glorious verses in the whole Bible, but it says, but when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all the angels of God worship him. Okay? Now, the last quote in Hebrews chapter 1, last of those seven, um, here it is, Hebrews 1 and uh, verse 13, and uh, you can see it right there. But to which of the angels have you ever said, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool? Okay, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. This is pointing to his enthronement very clearly. Take your place on my throne at the right hand of my power. So, we can see then in Hebrews chapter 1, that uh, these seven quotes are pointing to the main point, which is the glorious position that Jesus holds in heaven. Later on, we're going to see uh, the steps that were necessary for him to take to get there. The deep suffering and sacrifice. I notice this is here. I think that's not supposed to be there. So after Hebrews chapter 1, there is an exhortation. Okay? Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. And it's basically, um, therefore, you know, you should give heed. Okay. That's Hebrews 2, verse 1 through 4. That's one of those exhortations. And, uh, and then that leads us to Hebrews Chapter 2, okay? 
I mean, we're already in Hebrews chapter 2, but uh, we're going to jump to Hebrews 2 verse 8. But let's just make sure we see it in its context here. Uh, so Hebrews chapter 2, and this is supposed to end it um, on the hour, is that correct? I, oh, well, <laughs> yes, that's what I thought. Okay, so there's a lot in Hebrews chapter 2. We're going to look at that next time, okay? Um, but I want to uh, just look at chapter 2, verse 8 here. And uh, here it says, it should be 2.6, I believe. Uh, 2.5, you're absolutely right. The wrong verse here. For he has not put the world to come. I wonder why it skipped all the way to verse 8. Because we have 1 through 4, the exhortation, and then verse 5. Okay. For he has not put the world to come of which we speak in subjection to angels, it says. Okay. He's not put the world to come of which we are speaking. That's a Greek present tense. Where he's not put the world to come that we're talking about in subjection to angels. First, I'm going to tell you what I want you to get out of this verse, and then I'm going to give you uh, my reasoning, okay? So here we go. The world to come is obviously the world to come. We're not there yet, right? And he's not put the world to come in subjection, in subjection to angels. Um, what he's going to argue here in the rest of this chapter is that um, it's certainly not in subjection to the human race right now, even though Psalm 8 is going to quote Psalm 8, which would lead us to believe that it should be in subjection to human beings. But he concedes that it's not under control. But then he's going to say, but we see Jesus crowned with glory and honor. Okay? That's the main point. But, uh, so that's where he's going. But he says he is not... Uh, Put the world to come of which we speak in subjection to angels. So I hope you can see from what I've said then that he's pointing to the enthronement of Jesus. Yes, question? Talk about the subjection to angels. It's, it, it, from what you're saying, I'm, I'm taking it that the, the subjection to angels that he's referring to is demonic angels. In other words, the devil is the prince of this world. And well, <laughs> like... Um, in chapter 1, he's, he's, he's comparing Jesus to angels, even good angels. And um, he's saying, you know, Jesus is better than the angels. Here's the reasons. That's these quotes. Okay? To which of the angels did he ever say? And so he's saying, in the world to come, which we're all looking forward to, is not angels. No, it's Jesus. And actually, he's going to go on and, and say that uh, Jesus is going to bring us with him. Human beings is really the point here. So he's comparing... Jesus and human beings to angels, even good angels, based on Psalm 8. Yes? When he says, Okay, go ahead. We're going to talk about that tomorrow, for sure. Okay? So the question is when he says uh, he was made a little lower than the angels, who is he talking about? I, I want to make sure I finish my point here, and if I have time, I'll talk about that, but that's really subject of tomorrow, okay? Is that fair or is that unfair? <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, now notice here. So what I want to do then is compare Hebrews 2.5. He's not put the world to come, of which we speak in subjection to angels. No. In subjection to Jesus, first of all, okay? He goes on right there in Hebrews chapter 2 and says, we do not yet see all things put under you know, subjection. Not really. Things are completely out of control in this world, right? But then, he says, but we do see Jesus. Okay. And by the way, it says, who was made a little Lord of the angels? So there's your, your answer there. But we want to compare that with the verse I went quickly over in Hebrews 1, verse 6, where it says, let all the angels of God worship Him. But when He brings the firstborn into the world, He says, let all the angels of God worship Him. When we read this, it's natural for us to think of Jesus' incarnation, His birth. Okay. Uh, my point here is that it's not speaking about that at all. 
in the context that we've seen so far, in the main point we've seen, no, it's speaking of his enthronement. It's speaking of his glorification. And I'm going to make that point here in the next few moments here, okay? Uh, in more than one way. Okay, so, did you follow what I'm saying though? No, it's speaking of his reception in heaven. First of all, he says, the world of which we're talking about. That's what it says in Hebrews 2.5. The world we were talking about. Well, he's been talking about the world to come. You know, all through chapter 1, Jesus' enthronement. Second of all, um, these two verses, Hebrews 2.5, Hebrews, uh, uh, what is it, 1.6 that I'm comparing? Yeah, Hebrews 1.6, Hebrews 2.5. It uses the same Greek word when it, for world. Okay. The only other place where it's, uh, it's talking about, which is translated world, which is truly talking about this world, it uses a completely different Greek word. So these two verses use the same Greek word referring to what? The world to come. So that ties those two verses together somewhat. Okay. When the author does speak of the incarnation, he doesn't speak of Jesus. Uh, he speaks of Jesus being made lower than the angels, not exalted over them. At his incarnation, he wasn't exalted over the angels. He was made lower than the angels. That's what our author says. But we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels. So, it's referring to his enthronement. Finally, the list of verses in chapter 1, verse 7, you know, it, it's pointing forward to showcases, as I say here, the exaltation of Jesus uh, that is necessary for him to lead the redeemed to share in that glory. And that is the purpose and point uh, which is made by the use of Psalm 8 in, in, in chapter 2 in the context of the verse in chapter 2. So the two Chapter 2 and chapter 1 are both pointing to Jesus' enthronement. By the way, the word again, some people say, well, it's talking about his second coming because it says when he brings him to the world again. But the world again uh, um, is used several times by the author of Hebrews when he's quoting more than one verse in a row. He's just saying, here's proof, and again, here's more proof. That's the best way to understand. And I give some examples there, uh, not just Hebrews 1, 5, and 6, but 2, 13, 10, 30, so on. That's how he uses that word. It can be used in the other way, and it is used in the other way, even the book of Hebrews. But in this case, it's clear. He just, it's, a, it's two, two verses in a row. Okay? And uh, I guess I show that here, actually. Here's 2, 13. I will put my trust in him, and again, here am I in the children whom God has given me. So, that's just his way of stringing together a couple verses. So the word again should not throw us off the trail. Now, this is from the wonderful book, Desire of Ages. And uh, um, you notice what it says there. It quotes Hebrews chapter 1, verse 6. The Father's arms encircle His Son. That is when Jesus returned to heaven. And the word is given, let all the angels of God worship Him. This is a part of His enthronement. His, when His sacrifice is accepted, the Father calls for the universe to worship His Son. That's Hebrews 1 verse 6. That's what all those other verses are pointing to. And uh, I'm going to... Uh, See here. Let me see here. Okay. I uh, thought I, oh, I do, I do have a copy of this for you. If you don't mind, and I don't like to do this, I'm going to make this a little bigger. I really don't like to just read to you, but it's so beautiful. I'm just going to read several paragraphs here for you, okay? Desire of Ages, page 833. It says, all heaven was welcome, was waiting to welcome the Savior to the celestial courts. As he ascended, he led the way, and the multitude of captives set free at his resurrection followed. 
The heavenly host with shouts and acclamations of praise and celestial song attended the joyous train. As they drew near to the city of God, the challenge is given by the escorting angels. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be lifted up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Joyfully, the waiting sentinels respond, Who is this King of glory? This, they say, not because they don't, do not know who He is, but because they would hear the answer of exalted praise. The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle, lift up your heads, O ye gates. Even lift them up, you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Again is heard the challenge, Who is the King of glory? To the angels, for the angels never weary of hearing His name exalted. The escorting angels make reply, The Lord of hosts, He is the King of glory. Then the portals of the city of God are opened wide, and the angelic throngs sweep through the gates, and a burst Amid a burst of rapturous music, there is the throne, and around it the rainbow of promise. There are cherubim and seraphim, the commanders of the angel hosts, the sons of God, the representatives of the unfallen worlds are assembled, the heavenly council before which Lucifer had accused God and his son, the representatives of those sinless realms over which Satan had thought to establish his dominion. All are there to welcome the Redeemer. They are eager to celebrate His triumph. Just two more paragraphs here, one long and one short. But it's beautiful. Yes, but He waves them back, not yet. They're there to worship Jesus, but He says, no. He has something else on His heart. He cannot receive the coronet of glory in the royal robe. He enters into the presence of His Father until He... It says, he enters into the presence of his father. He points to his wounded head. The pierced side, the marred feet, he lifts his hands, bearing the print of nails. He points to the tokens of his triumph. He presents to God the wave sheaf, those raised with him as representatives of the great multitude who shall come forth from the grave at his second coming. He approaches the father with whom there is joy over one sinner that repents, who rejoices over one with singing. Before the foundation of the earth were laid, the Father and the Son had united to covenant to redeem man if he should be overcome by Satan. They had clasped their hands in a solemn pledge that Christ should become the surety of the human race or for the human race. This pledge Christ has fulfilled when upon the cross he cried out, It is finished. He addressed the Father. The compact had been fully carried out. So when he cried out from the cross, It is finished. He said, I have done he says, now he, it says, now he declares, Father, it is finished. I've done your will, O oh my God. I've completed the work of redemption. If your justice is satisfied, I will that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am. And here it is. The voice of God is heard proclaiming that justice is satisfied. Satan is vanquished. Christ Toiling, struggling ones on earth are accepted in the beloved before the heavenly angels and the representatives of the unfallen worlds. They are declared justified. Where he is, there his church shall be. Mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. The Father's arms encircle his Son and the word is given that all the angels of God that's Hebrews 1, verse 6, truly pointing forth to the coronation of Jesus. That is the main point. The book of Hebrews is pointing us to that blessed uh, event. And the, one of the things we find out, and I don't really have a string of quotes on that, but the original recipients of this message, the original recipients of this letter were discouraged, or they were in danger of being discouraged. They were in danger of being turned back. And so, Jesus enthroned is presented. All right, now we got eight whole minutes. Any questions or comments? Or 
complaints or whatever. Yes. Okay. Yeah, very good. So what she's saying, just for the recording here, is that uh, based on uh, her reading of uh, F.C. Gilbert, I can't remember the name of that book. Uh, it's a wonderful book. It's actually in my church library. I should probably steal it. But, well, there's another one where he's actually uh, talking about the Scriptures. But anyway, she's saying that the book of Hebrews uh, is answering questions that Jews would be asking. Even today, exactly. If they were educated Jews, I guess we could say yes. Please. Building on that because that was going through my head too. That when we look in the New Testament, so many of the letters are written to Gentiles. Thank you. So you're, you're, she's saying that uh, there's a strong connection between the Old and New Testaments in the Book of Hebrews. I think that's basically what she's saying. Anybody else? I'll tell you, I've been blessed studying. Yes, and I, I just, this is, we are building on a foundation, and it's just so, you, my, you know, I believe that you will see the connection between section and section and section, what he did, where he's going. He's literally building the last, well, the fifth presentation is called the climax. That's chapter eight. And, uh, but, uh, so, I wanted to uh, just tell you, since I didn't, I read you that, the book, Desire of Ages. That was page 834. There's also a, more of a condensed statement, I guess, just for your information. First, select, first Selected Messages, page 306, paragraph 7, actually. So just for your information there. And, um, well, um, uh, page 306, paragraph 7, actually. I, and there may be more about it there in that context, but that was the one that I was going to read that one paragraph to you when we started, but I didn't have my sheet. So, so we have a wonderful Savior. And to think that when the angels wanted to worship Him and He, he put them aside, He wanted to make assurance that the human race were accepted. This is, there's no words to describe this. It's just... May God put this in our hearts. You know what I'm saying? All right, then. I'll, uh, I'll pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your presence here. Please bless us as we study this book. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. To listen to more of these presentations, you may visit the audio archives at misda.org slash audio2021 or search for Michigan Conference Camp Meeting wherever you get your podcast.